Hello and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I'm Brendan Lalive, and today I'm joined by Swagata Bapat. Welcome. Thank you. Pleased to have you along. Yes, I'm excited to be here as well. Good, good. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> um, in, how did you find coaching? Yeah, it's an interesting story, I guess. I originally trained as a mental health occupational therapist and I worked clinically with people with mental health issues and I worked for a good 10 or 12 years as a clinician and then moved into kind of more still in that sector into more service development, uh, consulting around developing services. And I guess I was without knowing it at the time, building some of my coaching skills in the way that I'd taught to uh, people who are developing services, you know, asking what would success look like or what would this service be providing if it was doing a good job, those sort of questions. But it wasn't until I got into uh, an exec leadership role and it was a massive leap for me. Uh, it was a big national role. And about two months into the role, I was saying to my manager, look, I'm, I'm needing to get some support around um, how I'm doing this role. And she connected me with this incredible coach who knew the organisation really well. And for me, I'd always done clinical supervision, which is a very different, or mentoring, which is a very different process. And it was like a revelation to have this person um, kind of help me come to where I needed to get to and use all my own resources rather than telling me as someone more experienced how to do it. Uh, so that was the first thing that kind of set the seed for me. And then I moved into another organisation where uh, there was also uh, some great coaching happening and I was a recipient of some of that. And it felt like a natural progression from there when I decided to, so almost five years ago now I started working for myself and um, I was really keen to, I was being approached about whether I could support other people and I really loved the coaching model. So that was the start of my journey. And then I went and did more training. And um, yeah, so that that's the, um, not a short answer, but the kind of journey to how I got to coaching. Yeah, I love that, that client question of if this service was working well, what would it be doing? Or how what does success look like for this? And I, I smile because a friend of mine uh, asked that question when he was going for a piece of work. And the client paused and went, oh, we haven't really thought about thought that. Thought about it, yes. And they had a quick conversation and then they went, oh, actually, now that we've worked out what that is, we don't we don't need you. Piece <laughs> of work. So he did himself out of a piece of work by asking a really good question. And I said, we, you should have invoiced for that still. Yeah, that's right. The that's gold right there. <laughs> yeah. But actually, that's really interesting because with the consulting work I do, uh, again, those coaching questions are incredibly helpful because they really narrow down the brief of what people really want and often people will reach out saying we want this what the end result or the product is and when you can coach them through it a bit more you get much more clarity around what they're actually wanting or what the actual kind of pain point or problem is that they're trying to uh, address so yeah I'm hoping I don't do myself out of any work though like your friend <laughs> It'll come back. I'm sure it'll come back around <laughs> for him. They'll go, oh, yeah, well, remember, he asked that really good question. Yeah. And what are you drawing from your you know, therapy, mental health background into your coaching? How do you see those two things supporting each other? 
Yeah, look, I think um, at a very basic level, those deep listening skills, I think, uh, you know, I've been working in the mental health kind of space for 30 years now, and I think those listening skills become really finely honed. And so um, I don't like to say I'm drawing on my gut necessarily, but I think it is, I think it's my gut that's developed from lots of experience of listening and noticing what's not being said, uh, being able to piece together dynamics and themes that might keep reoccurring over a range of coaching sessions. Um, but there's lots of techniques that I've used with clients. So, you know, for example, mindfulness and grounding, lots of those uh, techniques. Uh, the sort of questions that you can ask, uh, there's some really similar ones. Um, becoming really aware of uh, limiting self-belief. So a lot of the CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy frameworks, and lend themselves really beautifully to coaching. And I noticed in the level two training, actually, there was a lot of those sort of questions were being brought in and demonstrated by the facilitators. So I guess a lot of that um, therapeutic thinking can really helps and you can I can draw on it quickly without having to think too much about it. That's sort of where my natural go-to is, uh, which was why when I first did the training, I was like, oh, no, because they had that very prescribed model. Like, I can't use a lot of my actual skills around questioning and um, CBT frameworks or mindfulness. So, But they're the sort of uh, clinical mental health skills that I bring to the coaching. Yeah, I find when people are in, exposed to coach training that first time, that's the really hard bit, is just kind of leaving your experience to date at the door, learn this as a way forward, and then you can bring it all back in. But Absolutely. Yeah. And that's because we're often not as good at asking the questions as we think we are or you know, oh, I'm great at asking all these open questions and I know how to ask open questions. And then you get people asking them and you're like, that's closed, that's closed. That was bleeding. <laughs> or worse, one of the things that I used to get tripped up into because I'd often get a lot of uh, kind of people who are OTs but earlier on in their career and I'd kind of start off coaching and then fall into the trap of saying, right, I'm just going to take my coaching hat off now. But what I need to tell you is, so for me, that discipline in level one was really, really helpful to just really hold that boundary around they've got the gold. You don't have to tell them everything you know. And, you know, that was difficult but really helpful. And do you combine your therapy with your coaching? And I ask that, and I know that's not a great question because it's closed and leading. But this isn't coaching, so that's fine. I asked that because I did a, a like a phone call, client exploration, meet and greet, whatever the right word is, uh, last week, and someone asked me directly, um, do you have experience working in the mental health space or with people that need mental health? And I obviously don't. So I said, you know, I think, you know, um, coaching can be quite therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And if you need to access someone who has therapy, training and skills you definitely should and it's not an either or choice you know etc etc and I think that answer you know worked but I'm interested for someone who has that that skill set as well do you keep them separate or do you bring both yeah. 
Well, firstly, I really like that answer. Uh, very similar to what I would say. Uh, I, I don't combine the two. I think they're two very different uh, prospects for people. And so when people will come to me for coaching, I'm really clear that there's a boundary around what's coaching and and I will suggest to people that they might want to go and pursue some um, counselling or therapy if that's the thing that starts kind of really showing up in the coaching sessions. And um, I think people can do both. And so I have coached a few people who um, I'm holding the coaching space and I'm also very aware that they're seeing a, a therapist as well and so that they might bring that into the conversation and I'll say I'm noticing this theme and they'll say oh yeah that's something that my therapist and I are working on and that's kind of then sitting there in that boundary um, but it is I think really important to delineate between the two because uh, in that kind of coaching paradigm you're you're not offering that sort of clinical support it's a different power base, I think, when you're working in a therapeutic relationship. There are some, you know, some similarities as well, but I always very clearly delineate at the start of a coaching engagement. Uh, and I've never yet got to the point where I've had to say to someone, I think actually coaching is not what you need, you just need counselling, but I'll often suggest that that's an additional thing. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this is I've done, um, because of my clinical background, I have been engaged to coach people with lived experience of mental health issues. And that's a space that I absolutely love because you're working with, you know, these incredibly bright, fantastic people who are also bringing their lived experience uh, to the work that they're doing. So they're often in designated roles or they're adding their perspective to the work. Uh, and again, in that situation, it's really important to be able to tease out when you're coaching and when you're actually saying, actually, this needs to now move into the therapy space and that's not what I'm engaged to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised at how often people say, oh, that was you know, really therapeutic. And I think yeah. it's just because I've started to ask people, you know, what made it therapeutic? Because I'm intrigued. And they say, oh, I think knowing that you're independent, it's confidential and you weren't going to try and fix it because I'm surrounded by people that are, you know, I'll get halfway through a bit of a vent or getting something off my chest and they try and solve it and you just sit there and listen and yes. sort of let me go. And quite often they sort of self-identify and they go, okay, that's enough about that. Now I've, I've sort of got that out and it's processed and we can move on to something else. But Sometimes yes, they don't. <laughs> I think that's one of the real gifts of coaching and of therapy is, I mean, particularly in the last couple of years, like we are so fraught with a hundred things to do. I'm thinking about my morning this morning. You know, I had to rat test both my kids, make two separate lunches because one of them won't eat particular things, and then you know, get them off to school and get back and make sure that I've got everything set up. So people are just really incredibly busy and there's just this real gift in having an hour where it's just your space to stop slow down reflect and I think both coaching and therapy can offer that um, that space I did have a uh, an executive 
clients actually who I was coaching in the whole organization and there was a group that I was coaching and then individual as well and he was just hysterical he was he was a real like you know doer and so he struggled with the stopping and and then he used to at the end of it all say oh all right well I'll get up off the couch now and I'll go and (laughs) send me the bill (laughs) but it was um, something quite unusual for him to actually have time to stop and reflect on himself rather than on the work so yeah and I find that people are more efficient as a result like they they invest that hour where they pause and they stop it's true for me as well when I work with a coach and and then because the thinking is done the doing's more efficient as opposed to just doing the doing and jumping on from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing so it's always interesting when you get one of those yeah but when are we going to get to the doing or I want to you know make stuff happen it's like that will that will come that comes yeah but yeah. we just need to to pause and stop first and I suppose finding little moments for ourselves or at an individual level where we can make that happen yes um, I think that's the, I mean I interestingly uh, that's one of the things that I've really noticed about coaching is that people often come saying you know I'm really struggling with the you know whatever the content area is and there seems to be a theme and I don't know whether this is just about the way that I coach so it'd be interesting to hear what your uh, experiences are as well uh, is that the things that have the most impact for people are really about you know, taking time out, mindfulness, grounding, uh, a range of sort of techniques that help them slow down and reflect and be much more intentional about the way that they do rather than just busy, busy. But, you know, people often come saying, you know, I want to get better at content, 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 and that's not actually the issue. Yeah, that's probably similar but somewhat different at times in my coaching as well. I have this line that's in my coaching bio that I put in there and it's true and it's real and it's authentic, but it was kind of, uh, I've got to put something in here. So what should I put in here? And the the line is that, you know, I enjoy working with people who feel stuck and I get so many phone calls from people saying, oh, that, that line really stood out for me. Right. I'd really like to, you know, to be unstuck, which is a great place to start for coaching. But it's interesting what what grabs people. And part of the becoming unstuck is the stopping, the pausing, the reframing, the thinking about where you want to be, as opposed to just getting stuck in the in the doing. And so, you know, finding little ways for people to have that that pause and that think time and to to do it and role model it myself so you know this morning you mentioned your morning mine was kind of similar you know I um, helped get my boys ready for school slash daycare and then I walked uh, my eldest to primary school he wanted to ride his bike he was super excited about that so we walked down he rode down then I wheeled at home um, and then I have this meeting in my calendar that I try, I try very, very hard to stick to, which is just for half an hour. And it's called plan the week. That's all it says in it. And all I do during that half an hour is check that people have accepted meeting invites. 
you know, the Zoom links, if, if they're Zoom links or WebEx links or whatever have been sent, that material is ready for workshops that I'm going to run, you know, that people have completed um, surveys or instruments that I'm going to need to debrief them on during the week, all that sort of stuff. And I'll put travel time in my calendar if I'm going to be doing a face-to-face -face thing. Oh, face-to-face. -face. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, rare at the moment. But... But I, when I first started doing that, I thought, oh, wow, isn't that extravagant? Brendan needs half an hour to, to plan his week and to get his, you know, ducks in order. And yet, if I don't do that, if I don't take that time to really think through my week and work out where stuff is, I easily waste three, four times that amount of, by being in the wrong spot or not having links or, you know, waiting for people to show up for coaching sessions and they haven't confirmed it. Yes. Yeah. And so... I, I sit and hold really strongly to that because the desire is let's get into the the work email the social media yes. the, yeah you know the website update that's overdue like that sort <laughs> of stuff um and and then the you know I'll just all the rest will fall into place and it just doesn't every time it trips me up so you know finding time to do that mindfulness and that prep stuff is it pays dividends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, a Sunday nights, um, um, I, I look ahead to the week. But the the grounding and mindful thing for me is every morning I go and spend 15 minutes minimum, and it often is longer, but 15 minutes just in the garden. I'm a really passionate gardener and I've got a very large garden. Uh, and I'll walk through the garden with my cup of tea and my girls know not to try and come and talk to me for that time. That's just mummy's going out and having a cup of tea. And um, it really helps me because I find that it's that focus that you get when you're really just focusing on something else. And while I'm doing it in the back of my mind, all the cogs are kind of turning in. There's those little, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That just happens naturally, sets me up for the day. And I find when I miss that, so pre-COVID when I used to do a lot of travelling, I would find that it was much harder to, to be on top of things in the way that you're talking about where you get your half an hour to really plan. And, yeah, I think those, those moments are really what makes such a big difference to people that I coach as well. So one of my clients a couple of weeks ago was saying to me, oh, I'm going really great. I'm just I'm feeling really buoyant and I just feel like I can take on anything that's, um, that's coming my way. And for them, one of the big things that they'd implemented across their week was exactly what you're identifying was but very specific times that they stayed disciplined to where they were doing some grounding and moving and trying to get out of their head and into their body a bit more and seems to, you know, I'm not surprised, but it had a really big impact for them. The garden sounds like a great place to kick that off. Oh, I love it. I we've love just, the garden. We've just had landscapers come through and fix our backyard up from um, the white pebble oasis that it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and so there's some grass out there. There's some garden beds out there that are waiting to be planted out. And it's it's amazing how much of a difference it makes just looking out the window as you're washing the dishes or and getting Absolutely. ready in the morning. Oh, look at that. Like that's, that's really nice. So I'm, 
I'm sure more people are noticing that you know, during work from home or greater opportunity to be at home around taking advantage of those spaces that we may have may have overlooked or not really appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think particularly for um, Melbourne people that became incredibly important in those kind of two long years of almost constant lockdown. Uh, but I think there's also again, for me as a mental health, someone who's very interested in the research around mental health, there's so much research around the impact of engaging with nature and gardening being one of those ways to do it on your mental health and well-being. So I feel like that's just, it's a no-brainer really, like to spend time amongst nature can really give you a sense of perspective. Uh, and that's really what coaching's about, isn't it? Having, getting lots of different perspectives and being able to draw on them. So, yeah. Did you find that your Melbourne-based counterparts had a reaction to having access to the garden or to different areas as much as they did during lockdown as opposed to, you know, being in the office? Look, I've heard, I've heard lots of different things. So I think some people, I mean, for me, this pandemic's been really incredible in the way that it's shone a really big light on who has and who hasn't so um and I'll explain what I mean by that what what I noticed was I was coaching people in lots of different circumstances from you know single parents living in you know tiny apartments with toddlers and then childcare closing down. So then unable to work from home and to people with lovely houses and beautiful gardens who were able to, you know, as much as possible, really enjoy that enforced time to just be with themselves and with their house and their garden. But yeah, I mean, um, people really talked a lot about being able to get out into the green spaces and how important that was for them. Uh, but I, I really did notice that there were some people that did incredibly well uh, during the lockdowns and some people who just really were challenged. I mean, uh, one of the young women I was coaching had to end up resigning from her role because she just wasn't able to maintain working from home with a child that wasn't in childcare. And so um, that was a real eye-opener for me. Like I've always been very aware of what I have but there's nothing like a pandemic to make you feel incredibly grateful for what's around you. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I really answered what you were asking, but uh, you know, I do think that there was those kind of two elements of some people doing well and some people not managing that well, but uh, across the board, like a lot of groups developed on Facebook, you know, that were to try and support each other in the, um, online space and there was a lot of oh we've gone out to this walk and so you'd see a lot more people around the neighborhood got to know your community a lot better because people you know couldn't travel as much we we're on a 5k limit for quite a period of time so yeah the other thing I did notice though was um, just how many of my previous clients were ringing and asking for additional input around how to support the mental health and well-being of their client of their um, workforce so uh, particularly the workforce that was delivering services and uh, that was really interesting and the shift for uh, boards in terms of priorities so 
I was doing a piece of work at one point with a, a small organisation where the board was asking me to look at workforce capability, which is one of the areas that I um, consult in. And then lockdown hit and the chair rang up and said, oh, look, we might put that piece of work on hold, but we really need you to help us work out how to get everyone into a working from home, kind of connected working from home situation. So, yeah, I think the impact on mental health and wellbeing has been talked about a lot, but I've really noticed that. Yeah, we had the a lot of our neighbours do the... Um, Put a teddy bear in the window yes and the kids yeah. loved that they'd you know we'd go for a walk around the block and sort of they'd remember which bear was where and want to go and wave to it and, and so that was kind of <laughs> nice we've got batman in our tree still um, oh fantastic <laughs> every now and again people people notice that batman's there uh so that's interesting and i think you know what i what i noticed a lot of was you know recognition i think of what you say there with regards to you know how different levels of privilege and i, I kind of think that is a, a new thing that has appeared you know having access to high-speed internet that you don't have to share with yeah. housemates or or others and the ability to to navigate working from home not yeah, everyone has the you know access to the quiet space or quiet spaces that some of us do um and also people feeling really guilty about what they're doing while they're working from home. So people would say, oh, I just unpacked the dishwasher before I got onto the call with you. And now I feel really guilty about that. I'm going to have to add time <laughs> to the end of my day because that's not work. And, or I went for a walk in the garden or I made a cup of tea and. Oh goodness. That's interesting. Mm, I found it really strange. Cause then I'd say to them, well, if you're at work, you know, in the office and you went to the cafe and bumped into someone and you spoke to them for 15 minutes, would you mm -hmm. consider that to not be work? And they yes. go, no, that's work. That's fine. Why, why is it different when we're in this different location? Um, why do we think about it in a different way? And should we be? So let's just check in with those assumptions and those, those biases that we have that unpacking the dishwasher because if you unpack the dishwasher in the office <laughs> you're that great team member yeah. that <laughs> I mean I know that it's your dishwasher and it's your plates and your cups and what have you not the work areas but I don't know I kind of think let, let's worry less about that and more to that stuff you were worrying about are people looking after their mental health and well-being um, are they supported are they you know able to get the work they need to get done done and do we yeah. have a culture where people can put their hand up and say no i need a hand here can someone help me out yeah and i um have to say that was one of the things that i that was just fantastic about the last couple of years as i've been really um just struck by how incredibly caring and supportive the uh leadership in the organizations i've worked with have been there's just been it's been really lovely to see this kind of almost a pause and our workforce is incredibly important. How's the best way that we can support them and really um, pulling out all stops to do whatever they thought that they could in that situation to, to help and support. So um, that's actually been one of the really great things, I think. But the two great things that have come out for me is the focus on mental health and wellbeing, 
Uh, and reimagining that conversation that you've kind of alluded to around what is work and how can work be set up. So even conversations with organisations that may never have considered having people continue to work from home now saying, well, you know, they're still productive, it seems to work, we're not losing three hours of commuting time, we're, yeah. So, yeah. That, yeah, that's I think that's fantastic. And it just blows open the talent pool as well, right? I know, you know, being in Canberra, fairly heavy public service presence here, which yeah. won't come as a surprise to anyone, but there used to be this really strong focus on, you know, if you want to be at a certain level, then you kind of need to be in Canberra, which I think is completely wrong. It's just a, an absolute um, falsehood. But if we were to allow people to work remotely, mm. you know, all of a sudden, whichever industry or organisation we're in, we have access to talent from everywhere. And I've seen Absolutely. a lot more um, rural and remote located people coming to workshops or coming to coaching yes. and getting access to that stuff because you just send them a link or they send you a link and you click the button and, you, and you're there as opposed to, oh, I don't get that because I'm in, insert, small country town. Yeah, absolutely. I think the access issue has been extraordinary. And I've, um, you know, I've got one client that's in the UK and I find it really interesting that I probably wouldn't have uh, thought about working with someone in the UK before pre-pandemic even though it was always possible, but, yeah, it's blown open that kind of ability to access uh, people all over the world, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which links to, just because it's come up, I'm going to talk about it out loud, sure. first time ever on this. I set myself a goal in 2021, which I didn't even make any progress towards, so it's this year's goal now as well, of trying to coach someone who's physically located on every continent on the planet. Oh my goodness, what a goal. Yeah, which I'm pretty excited about. So Australia's locked and loaded, that's that done. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, and I've, I've I've coached someone who's, you know, on the Asian continent and and so that's pretty cool. But yeah, the one that's difficult is Antarctica, but I don't <laughs> well, quite know how I'm going to get someone there. But because it's all virtual, you know, maybe I'll just get someone to set their background and tell me they're there. But you know, so if you're on Antarctica and you're listening and you're looking for some coaching, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think it would be cool to be able to say that that you that I'd done that. So that's what I'm I'm putting my feelers out about that thing. Just so, what have you ticked off already, Brendan? So, so last year uh, I got Australia, Africa, Europe, and Asia, not yep. the Americas. It didn't quite crack then. And so, so far this year, it's it's just Australia and, and Asia. But, you know. So can you, uh, what's the rules of your game? Can you uh, have the ones that you did last year roll over to this year? So you've just got to, <laughs> or do you start from scratch? Uh, I, I hadn't thought about it, but I think I will start from start from scratch and see how <laughs> I go with that because I'm intrigued to see if it, if it can be done. And there was a nice alignment in 2021 because, you know, I thought I'd coach everyone three times and there's seven continents. And so it was, you know, I probably should have published or, you know, publicised rather a little more about it than it would have happened. But, you know, there were other priorities. So, um, 
Oh, well, we're going to have to catch up again on. so I can hear how you went. <laughs> yeah, so I, I like um, just setting those little strange little goals for myself just to see where they come from. And I'm I'm fascinated by how often they sort of play out or, or come true. You know, one I did a few years ago when we had more um, ability to meet face-to-face, -face, I was in the ICF uh, ACT leadership team and um, we run an event in the leadership team called Coach Catch-Up. And Coach Catch-Up is on the second Tuesday of every month. And it's free for pe anyone that wants to show up that's interested in coaching and wants to hang out with coaches can come along. And I set myself this goal of getting uh, 50 new or long-time absent faces to, to come along to that event. And when I started talking about it, people were like, well, that that's a crazy goal. Why would you set yourself that? But in December, it's on the last um, one of the year, the 50th person showed up, which is pretty cool. Oh, so, so good. You know. There is, I think there's something uh, really interesting about how when you're, again, and this kind of comes back to the what happens in coaching and the processes, when you're really clear and you set intentions, um, somehow you I think it comes to you the energy that you put out you start I guess you start paying more attention selective attention to opportunities that fit with that and I think your energy and your drive goes into that direction and more often than not yeah you can achieve those goals however whether they're odd or not <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean I think um that's what's happened for me with the, even this podcast. I set myself a stretch challenge to do some podcasts and a bit more kind of um, conversations with people for 2022 and they're just coming. So, I've, you know, I'm going to be doing two more after this and I think that there's something about once it's in your head and you're kind of listening out for it, some just kind of naturally filter to you. Uh, yeah, so my goal was not about subcontinents and continents. My goal was to do 12 this year. So you're number two. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'm pleased to hear that. That's great that those yes. things are, are rolling your way because yeah, it's funny how you put your attention into stuff and get clear on what it is, as you say, and then it just start. It's almost seems to start to happen. Obviously, there's still some effort and some drive behind it, but you know, find you, you talk about that stuff more as well. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, you can either go make sense of it in that kind of woo-woo way of going and, you know, the, the energy in the world comes to you or um, I prefer to think of it as a, your attention is actually then uh, more on those opportunities and you tend to hear more of them and see more of them and, yeah, talk more about them. Yeah. So. Wonderful. So what else, you got the podcasts this year. What else is on the plans for you for this year? So I'm, I've still got a number of people that I'm coaching. So I'm really loving the coaching and I feel like it's um, one of the things that gives me incredible sense of joy to uh, watch people become really clear about uh, what they want from life. So I'll continue to do that. 
I do uh, quite a bit of facilitation as well. So I've got some really interesting pieces of facilitation work lined up, which, and I think those two lend themselves to each other. You use your coaching skills a lot in facilitation. So I'm uh, going to be facilitating some uh, work around a community of practice and facilitating a couple of kind of team workshops and, you know, leadership development days. And um, one of the things I love about consulting, there's a couple of other things that I'm going to be putting a tender in for at the moment, but is that I couldn't tell you. And that's exciting. And I'm someone who uh, thrives on lots of new ideas and trying out new things, new experiences. I think it keeps you kind of energized and alive and, um, you know, helps you stay a little bit flexible in the way that you do your life and your work. So I don't know. I've got up until the kind of middle of March sorted and then who knows what's going to come. It'll be, it's just going to be exciting to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that part of um, consulting as well, work for yourself as well, because it's just like, I don't, I don't know. But something will come. I know that yes. that something will come. And and one of the challenges that I've faced is, you know, sometimes when there's nothing, you get offered something and you go, look, that's not really my skill set or I'm not super excited about that or, you know, I can do it, but I don't really want to do it, but my calendar's empty. Yeah. I'll jump on it. And I found <laughs> every time I do that, I'm like, oh, I just need to, you know, just put that in the bank and it'll be done. And it's a day and it's a, you know, and it's only a day and what have you. And then inevitably something that is right in my wheelhouse comes along and it has to be on that same day and it pays more and it's with a group that I'm more excited about. And one of my um, mentors said to me early on, uh, in the calendar and confirmed is gold. Like if it's in your calendar and it's confirmed, you just have to leave that in there and lock it in, which yeah. I think is a really good premise. And one I've been trying, well, one I have lived by, I've had to, you know, I've turned down lots of opportunities that were exciting um, based on there already being something in my calendar. But I always think to myself, I should have just held on that extra week because that, that awesome <laughs> bit of work was there and I've... I've Remove yeah, I, I mean, know. isn't that just one of the? Uh, that's one of the things about consulting, isn't it? The uh, one of the one of my mentors was um, saying to me, "You've got to learn to enjoy those times when you don't have a lot." Uh, and I think in the first year or two, I found that really tricky because I was always a little bit worried what might come. And, but now I'm starting to really enjoy when I haven't got very much on make the most of it, you know, try and do lots of things that you love that aren't work-related because that that phrase that you said, the work comes, there's plenty of work and it will come, you know, I think that's really important. The And I've got a slightly different uh, approach to you in that I'm, I think I'm getting better at saying no to work that I feel a little bit nah, not sure it's well paid but I'm not really it's not really my thing um because yes I've had exactly the same experience where I have said yes and then something that you know that I was really like wholeheartedly wanting to do then comes along and I can't quite fit it in so um I'm a little bit more likely to 
take that risk of not having anything for a few weeks than having that perfect thing come along and then think, oh, no, I've just said yes to something else. And But it is, that's one of the, the interesting challenges around consultancy work. It's one of the, the uh, I guess, not the downsides, but it means that you don't have the same sense of certainty that you do in a in a real job, as my parents would call it. <laughs> Yourself a real job. My parents say to me all the time, what do you do again? Like, explain it to me. <laughs> According to my wife, uh, since working from home, what I do is tell silly stories and bad jokes for a living. And <laughs> I kind of like that. That works for me. I, you know. oh, nothing wrong with bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so, but... Yeah, it's what do you do? I ask people questions about what they want to do and then ask them questions about how they're going to do it and, you know, check in with their beliefs and assumptions and strengths and and they yeah. sort of go, I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, it's much easier to understand the silly jokes. Can you just go and be a lawyer or an accountant or <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is it you do? Manage a team? You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. So that's interesting. I mean, one of the exercises that I've had to do to uh, become really clear about describing what I do is explain it to my uh, eight and nine-year-old. And that makes it really, you have to be so clear. And in the end, um, what does my eight-and-a-half-year-old say now? Mummy, you just listen to people and then you help them. And I was like, okay, I'll take that, you know. Yeah, that's Kind of simplifies it down to. It was never going to be jokes for me. For me. <laughs> uh, it's it's not work for me until I get a groan. That's when I know right. I'm in the zone. You know, really bad, terrible <laughs> dad jokes. Dad jokes. One of the best things about becoming a dad was, you know, getting proper authorization to be able to use for those jokes. <laughs> one of the best, not the best, but uh, one of my best. Um, uh, classic. And yeah. The, the groan is a huge sign for me that I'm in a good spot. You know, normally yeah. there's a smattering of laughter, but online that's that's really hard because everyone's on mute. You know, three quarters of people might have their camera off. Yes. And yeah. I'm kind of used to it, but I feel for participants in workshops so they try and crack a joke. And it's funny, like it's genuinely funny, but no one, no one actually responds. They don't hear anyone laugh. And you can sort yeah. of hear the wind go out of their sails. And I said, don't worry. I thought it was funny uh, if no one else did. And everyone else is just on mute. So they, you can't hear them. They're all in stitches. Um, it's tricky. That's one of the things that has all of that incidental uh, stuff that happens in workshops and even in just interactions. I think uh, you, you've you lost a lot of that with the move to the online space. So it can be... Yeah, that all of the kind of the water cooler conversations and the as you just walk past someone at work. I mean, I did an entire um, piece of work uh, as an acting clinical director for an organisation online without and got onboarded online and did the whole job online. And you just miss a lot of the nuances. You can't just run into someone and say, oh, that was an interesting meeting. What do you think about that without actually making a time? And then you're less likely to do that. Yeah, so it's been really interesting. And some of that stuff that you're talking about, the humour, 
the the quick jokes the yeah that that gets a little bit lost big time so but I like that uh, you listen to people and then you help them yeah I like it too why Why, mummy? <laughs> yeah, ask questions. Why, why, why do you do that? Why do you enjoy that? That's that's where my kids yeah. are at at the moment. They're a bit younger. So, how old are your kids? Uh, five, nearly six, and three. So, ah, uh, oh, I love three. Such an inquisitive age, isn't it? So, yeah, it's a lovely age. Yeah. They're all lovely ages, but uh, three and four are two of my favourite ages. Yeah, it's been like I mentioned. We had the landscapers round, and so that meant we had a kanga digger thing in the backyard for a couple of days which they thought was great and we were very you know making sure they didn't go on it effectively because they just wanted to go and ride around on it (laughs) and uh my three-year-old in particular was quite excited about it so he'd hear the the landscapers show up he'd go i want to go outside on the deck so we'd go outside on the deck and then he's got a um a very I don't know a strong personality at times and he's like you've got a digger and you're going to dig that and you're not allowed to drive it over there and you can't do this and it was just like the landscapers were fantastic um talking to him and I, as soon as they saw them they'd sort of turn everything off and, and want to have a chat which was magnificent oh, so gorgeous yeah on with what they were doing they had plenty to do and um yeah that yeah. was intriguing how that little dynamic played out and then it's like all right let's get inside and and get ready for school and daycare and what have you but it was funny watching that little like i wonder how that will show up in his future like because oh yeah i've always used to um my younger daughter was very much like that and uh she left childcare and the report she got was you know she's showing very strong leadership qualities and i was laughing and thinking yeah they're not so much fun at home those leadership qualities but I'm glad they're you know they're playing out well in social situations at childcare and yeah, yeah. well I used to do uh I was a foster carer for many years and we uh used to have a lot of that three and four year old um often siblings come and stay with us for a few weeks and there's just it's such a beautiful beautiful age just naturally curious and so developmentally just really moving in leaps and bounds in terms of their cognitive skills and yeah really I I really love that age yeah yeah I heard someone say you know about children look I want you to be robust and dynamic and um, confident and forthright but just not at home grow up to be all those things but just not here like when I say put your shoes and socks on it means now not you know in 20 minutes when you decide you've asked enough questions so because all my report cards said you know Brendan is a you know social um learner Brendan talks a lot Brendan would learn more if he spoke less (laughs) you know that was pretty common for me that you know to show up and then I went and did some facilitation work like a not a trial, but like an upskilling. And all we had were asked to do was to introduce ourselves to the other group of facilitators that were there. And so I, I got up and I, I said a few words about who I am and why I do what I do. And, and this really experienced facilitator turned to me and said, you throw your voice very well, like no one would struggle to hear you. That's a really good strength for you to have as a facilitator because it's going to help you, you know, 
to command the room, command the room or to create the environment you want in the room. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that just got me in trouble for 12 years at school. I was in the wrong environment. So I just needed to shift environment and then it becomes an absolute strength. But it was, it was interesting because my first. I love that. That, that's a really interesting, that theme comes up a lot in coaching. So unsurprisingly, because I'm of Asian background and um, female, I guess, um, I, I do have more female people that come to me, for female people, more females that come to me for coaching. <laughs> and also um, people from kind of non-typical traditional backgrounds and one of the really interesting things is that moment where you realise, and this has happened for me, where you realise that your difference or the thing that kind of, as you say, got you in trouble or left you out or made you not quite fit in um, previously is actually this incredible strength and quality that you can really amp up and bring into the work that you do. Uh, and the, I mean, that's what I've just heard you, you know, saying that, you know, 12 years of getting told off and then look at you, perfect skill for a facilitator. Yeah. So it's just around where, where do you need to be for that to be, come a strength? Yes. Um, yeah. It was, it was a real, I remember it like a really interesting reframe. And I said that to uh, the lady that gave me the feedback immediately. Like I got into trouble at school for 12 years. So I'm thinking about that completely differently now. She's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, a colleague of mine um, who I've co-facilitated with uh, has always said to me, you know, Swagata, you're really good at drawing out that one voice that no one's hearing or the, that. And I'm like, that's just my natural, like I will, because I've had to do that for myself, that you you kind of learn to notice who hasn't got the confidence to speak up or who hasn't got the uh, confidence to contribute and kind of give their whatever their unique kind of strength or gift is. And um, that, yeah, it's the same as what you're saying comes from your kind of experience that wasn't a positive one uh, initially but is something that you can offer. Thank you for joining me today, Swagata. Before we finish up, I have my... um, Oh, yeah, your rapid fire. So I'm just going to throw these at you, sure. come back to me with whatever makes sense, but um, let's just go with it and see where they land. Absolutely. So, first of all, uh, what fulfills you? Nurturing and growth. Mm-hmm. And what frustrates you? Really poorly organised meetings. You don't just bring people together and then go, oh, um, you've got to really put a lot of thought into it and plan it well. So. If you could recommend one book that everyone should read, what would the book be? Oh, God, that just changes all the time. Come back to me on that one. All right. We've got four questions and then I'll be back to that. Uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> what do you... Did someone hear the whip crack in the background? <laughs> <laughs> what do you most admire in your counterparts? Creativity, honesty and kindness. What's your favourite coaching question? What's happening for you right now? Uh, If you weren't a coach, what would you be? A 
do you want the the wacky answer or the 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 kind of in the middle answer uh, always the wacky one <laughs> uh, the lead singer in a gospel band there you go and if you could tell your younger self anything what would it be you're doing well just keep going yeah and we're back to the book what would oh, the one book be i've got so many books that's what makes the one book the the fun bit i'm reading the art of gathering by priya parker mm-hmm. beautiful really lovely book and um i just love her approach to how to bring people together and uh that that there's a purpose to when people come together wonderful very good well thank you for joining me for the second of 12 podcasts you'll be on this year <laughs> i'm looking forward to tracking down the other 11 and listening through to them and really appreciate your time today thanks so much it's been really lovely so thank you <laughs> i agree thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the coach conversations podcast to find out when new conversations are available you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from please rate review share and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a coach conversation, please email Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-O-N, at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.